Thank you guys for sharing. That was, yeah, I'm very thankful that you guys are able to share such a difficult experience with everybody on the panel. And I think, Danny, when you said that, you know, only when the Me Too movement became big in the US, um, that, that empowered you to kind of speak about your own experience. I think similarly, I hope that, you know, this panel, people tuning in, you know, if you need help, you recognize that I think everybody on this panel has a space or is a safe space for you to come and approach for anything. If you want to ask a question, please feel free to drop us a question or reach any of us on Instagram. I think we are there. Um, I do want to kind of um, go back onto the point. I think all of you shared some quite interesting points in terms of like how you felt when you went through your experience. Um, I got isolating from Suli. I think you, you mentioned that quite a bit. Um, there was a bit of trauma as well as um, a, a couple of barriers in terms of reporting, the processes of reporting in the workplace. I do think all of you kind of take on a very a, a separate perspective. So I think that, you know, Danny provides like a workplace harassment kind of perspective. Um, Dawn represents kind of more of a school-based um, violence and harassment. And then Suli, more general societal kind of instances. I do want to ask you guys to kind of break it down for me. Why is it, you know, sometimes hard for survivors or victims to talk about their sexual experiences? And I guess what are the barriers that, they might face in terms of like making proper reports? Um, I can step in for this first. Um, wow, there's just so much. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> um, I think fundamentally from, from the survivor's internal um, journey, there's, there's just so much to deal with. Um, you're basically surrounded with self-blame, guilt, shame. You have to deal with flashbacks, triggers, and basically everything that you come to know of the world can be shaken up. Your sense of identity, your sense of trust, your sense of safety, your sense of control, because this is, the thing about trauma is that it is something that is life-altering, you see? So um, it can affect um, everything that you come to know of the world. And small decisions can become big decisions like should i take the train should i take the bus should i take a grab um things with con about control um about body image uh can i eat this can i how do i feel about myself you know all these things all these littlest things it it af affects you and every day can be a struggle and these are things that take time to process and and sometimes um, some survivors, they don't have the capacity to to deal with beyond that, to think about reporting because there's really so much to deal with and it can take time, like months, years to rebuild their sense of the world. And the thing about reporting is that it makes it so real and um, maybe living in denial, not believing that it's true or wanting to forget it is, is the only way to get through the everyday struggles. So maybe survivors are not just quite ready yet to think about reporting. And it is, well, the whole thing about reporting is also, a, it's, it's a huge step in itself. Um, and when, if they ever get to the point where they can think about reporting, there's also a lot of confusion, a lot of self-doubt. Is it, did it really happen? Is it considered a rape? Did I, am I just making a big deal out of nothing? Um, so yeah, I think that there are a lot of 
aspects to why people don't report. Thank you, Suri. I think you summed up the experiences of like victims and survivors quite well. Um, I'm wondering for maybe Don or Danny, um, in the perspective of like universities and the police maybe or like even workplaces, um, what are kind of the barriers in individuals coming forward with their own stories? I think for university experiences, particularly, um, the relationships on campus tend to be very difficult to navigate, especially if you're a freshman and you are trying to make all these new connections and deep relationships with people. And if people happen to take advantage of that, um, it can be very traumatizing and pressurizing, especially because you don't want to you don't want to speak out and um, make things awkward, especially when you're in a group. So the need to preserve group harmony becomes another factor to take into consideration alongside how you your your own personal relationship with the perpetrator, and if you are ready to um, you know make it awkward or you break that connection with them by approaching the topic. So in addition to all the trauma responses that you have to deal with the fight flight and freeze um, you also have to deal with all these relationship um, issues and at times people don't really know how to navigate that but we at go talk we always advise them to put themselves first um, and do what they think is the most healthy thing for them And I think more from the workplace perspective, I think a lot of people are concerned that reporting may have an effect on their career. And this is definitely something that, that I experienced. I mean, I was told repeatedly that I'd made a bad name for myself by trying to bring my perpetrator to justice. And in fact, I'm still in the middle of a legal battle to try to bring him to justice. And he is readily and repeatedly smearing my name across, all the way across these legal proceedings. He has still is still working in the same company um, that was made very aware of everything that he did. He was promoted the week after I came forward formally with this my my complaints. So this system and more to the point, workplaces are really they really are not always easy on survivors and this needs to change. But I think the more that people talk about this and the more that we normalize this, the more that companies will realize that this really is a problem that needs to change, their attitudes to it need to change. They can't just appoint one HR person who can't cope with it. Um, they, they need to do more and they need to be better um, as companies, and I realize that's not a person per se, but it's a legal entity, they need to do more. Um, that can involve the creation of policies within the workplace. In my experience, those policies, my personal experience, those policies meant absolutely nothing unless you have people who are willing to put them into practice. But having said that, there are workplaces that are incredibly, incredibly supportive and it, it really it depends on each individual case, of course. Um, and but there are very, very serious aspects to consider for people, for people like myself will have considered when coming forward about their sexual harassment or their assault experiences. 
Mm. I think that leads nicely to my next question. Um, I was going to ask about what you guys thought about the policies that are currently in place. I think not only on a governmental level, but um, in even in like campuses and I would say even like you know gyms or like um, sports centers, um, different workplaces. Right? Do you think, in your own experience, that these the current existing policies are adequate in addressing sexual harassment or what kind of changes if you do want to see change what kind of changes would you like to see in these structures and institutions maybe you could go with Don first Okay, so currently um, for our campus situations, the protocol would be to inform the school and the school will make the police report on your behalf. Um, initially, when the, the Monica Bay incident happened, a lot of people were dissatisfied with how um, NUS managed things. Um, but during the Go Talk panel, I think we were reminded by um, our lawyers on the panel that um, students are in a rather privileged position in the sense that the school will be there to handle the police report with them. As opposed to managing the case as an individual, it will be more difficult to gather evidence and to, to go to the police station by yourself. Um, in that case, the school is able to kind of step in and make sure that you are first, like primarily, you are safe before the um, try to remove the perpetrator from the situation, um, whether they are in the same classroom as you or, you know, whether you're in the same hall, they will remove them from the situation and then they will make the police report. Um, as to whether that procedure is adequate, I think that one of the things holding it back from being the most um, ideal is um, our perceptions towards it. Because currently we are, you know, having a lot of distrust with the school um, and I think that if we were to work closely with them in order to manage the case, if the survivors can trust the school counsellors and the school um, admin to help them settle things, then overall, I think that the procedures will be more, um, will move more smoothly. If um, perhaps I can share about policies and procedures. I mean, I already uh, mentioned that in my own context, in the workplace at least, it was a pretty difficult time for me to try and use those policies. You know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I love the black letter of the law. I love looking at a piece of paper and it explaining to me, this is the consequence of what you have experienced. And I have to admit, it was um, a bit difficult, very difficult for me. Uh, to really realise that actually what was written down was was not the case and it was entirely subject to whatever the whims of the people who wanted to put these policies into place were at the time. Um, but again, I think it's quite difficult for me to, to talk in, in general terms about workplaces specifically, but perhaps if I just were to touch on perhaps policing um, and procedures there, because I also um, separately have various different uh, experiences with trying to report incidences to the police. I, I think 
to to some extent agree with what what Dawn is saying. Um, and and I mean, of course, let's assume that the school is is sort of looking after you and looking after your well being. Um, but also that they are taking you seriously. This is the I ideal world that the school will take you seriously and will not simply um, allow a perpetrator back into the classroom as we have we have also seen that in some incidences. But um, when you don't have that additional step, when you don't have those authorities um, and you are dealing directly with the police and with the criminal justice system, uh, this is not just limited to Singapore, but my experience that I'm discussing will refer to Singapore, which it's a, it's really not an easy process. It's really very difficult. You will be asked a lot of the time to repeat your experience or, uh, multiple times. I think when um, very short context, I was, my house was broken into and I was attacked in the middle of the night a couple of years ago. Um, and I was asked to give my statement at three o'clock in the morning whilst in floods of tears and, and absolutely terrified. Um, I was then asked to come back in and give another statement. I was then asked to come back in and give another statement. Um, there was, I was not informed of what was happening at any time. I was told by the police officer more than once that the guy could have been released. We're not sure if he's been granted bail or not. Um, this is in the context of somebody who the police had told me had been stalking me. I had no idea until I woke up and he was kneeling next to my face when I was sleeping. And that my then my experience with the authorities was really not great. I actually don't know if he's still in jail or not. I have absolutely no idea. I appointed a lawyer to act for me to sort of be a third party in those proceedings so that I would have to legally be updated. I still haven't been updated. I don't know what happened. The court has not told me, the legal system has not told me what's happened. Don't know if he's walking around still. So there need to be improved reporting processes. Survivors need to be central in these processes because it is a very difficult and a very traumatizing process. So um, I think survivor-centric models of addressing sexual harassment are key here. I'll just add on to that. Um, thank you, Daddy, for um, sharing that. And I have similar experiences in reporting my my assault. Um, I do have to say that as uh, as an individual, there are channels that you can go to. I went with Aware, and I was really fortunate that um, my case manager she walked me through the process before, and um, she broke it down to me. And ultimately. It is, there is no right or wrong in, in making a report or not. It's only the survivor's choice. And I was constantly reminded of that. I'm very thankful of it. And um, I was brought to the Cantonment Police Station, which I believe is the, I, I might not be right, I'm not sure, because I'm really not an expert in, in all, all these, but I believe is the HQ that uh, manages the sexual assault cases. And the... The policemen, um, the IO investigating officer, they were all very informed, trauma-informed. So I think the whole process to me was, um, I won't say a pleasant one, but uh, it was not as bad as I would have imagined. But the thing is, I can understand that this, this whole um, education behind the process that goes with uh, reporting a case is not 
um, readily accessible to the public. If I had not reached out to AWARE, I wouldn't have known that oh, this is what to be is what to be expected. And I think a lot of people jumping back to the earlier question, and one of the reasons why people don't make reports is because they are intimidated by the process. They're not informed, and I think that this can be a part of our general education. People can be more educated about what's the process and, and not just the processes, but what it involves as well. Because when you're making a report, it's a huge step and um, you're basically putting yourself, like what Danny said, you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable situation um, to have to recount the trauma, the incidents over and over again. And it can be very triggering for survivors. Um, but I don't think people are aware of that. The the emotional uh, baggages it comes with it. So um, I remember this was one of my, um, uh, I think this was quite fresh from the assault and I told the guy that I was seeing at that point of time that this happened to me and he was obviously very angry for me but the next time that we met I for a date, I didn't know what was going to happen but he was going to bring me to the police station and I was, I was mad, like hell. I was like, who are you to decide for me um, whether or not I should report? And the thing is, I think people are not informed about what it takes to make a report that when you're faced with such uncomfortable news, the, it, it, I, I think people's response is just to want to be useful and do, do something good about this, something noble about it to make it seem that they care. But the person that you really should care about is the survivor's well-being. And um, as for the processes, I think what Danny said about um, how it should be more transparent, um, I'm still I'm still waiting to hear about my results. I, I don't know what's going on. And I think um, it should be more transparent. People should be well, more educated about the processes behind and what it takes to, to step up and come forward to make a report. Can I also add on that um, after what Danny said about having a survivor-centric model and what Suli mentioned about um, being trauma-informed, I think that it's really important when, um, especially at the police station, the police are well-informed well and well-equipped to deal with such trauma cases, um, especially because my placement with Project X, um, we're informed of cases where trans women have reported incidents to the police and the police didn't want to do anything because they weren't considered like real women. So I think for for the people who are directly interacting with survivors, it's very important for them to be trauma-informed and survivor-centric as well. Thank you all for sharing. Um, I want to touch uh, quickly on uh, a couple of few points before I think we move on to our Q&A. Thank you guys for sharing your experiences and stories. Um, I do really agree that a victim-slash-survivor-centric approach is really the way to move forward. I think speaking with um, victims and survivors also, I do think that that's really, really important. Um, I just want to let everybody in the audience know if you guys are tuning in, uh, we'll be moving on to our Q&A soon. So if you guys have any questions for any of the panellists, please drop them there. I've seen a couple of comments um, directed to Suli and Don and Danny. Um, basically sharing that you guys are very brave and very inspiring. You guys really, really are. So um, if you want to keep asking questions, please go ahead. We'll take them later. Um, I do want to touch on the point of um, the fact that I guess now where we are today, um, we do see a lot of like uh, 
cases of sexual harassment and assault being reported, um, more and more victim slash survivors are coming forward to voice out stuff that they've gone through. Um, I want to know where, what you guys think caused this progress. Do you think that um, platforms like social media have helped to amplify these issues to show that, you know, highlight, show and highlight that sexual misconduct is wrong? I think, Suli, you can take this question first since, yeah, you have a platform as well. Um, yeah, for sure. I think, um, as well, since, probably since the Me Too movement, there had been a lot more conversations surrounding this, um, this topic. And um, I think the news has also been doing their part in highlighting um, sexual misconduct. Um, and I've seen a lot of uh, social media, so, sorry, uh, yeah, social media channels, Instagram pages that, that are set out to educate people about the effects of trauma, um, what can you do, how to respond. So I think, um, yeah, people are, are more open to talk about it. Um, people are more willing to listen. And the fact that we are, there are people coming forward, it normalizes um, speaking out. Uh, I, I agree. I think that the advent of social media definitely allows for more people to see when other people are talking. And perhaps in some instances, and I think we've seen some amazing people in Singapore really speaking out about this, but also sharing sharing their journey and sharing whether or not they go through things with the authorities or not and sharing their thought processes i mean i've seen a few amazing ones over the last couple of days where people are just so raw and open with how they are feeling and how this has made them feel and i think that, that normalizes the, the fact that we have experienced this trauma and also reduces shame and shame is something that is so pervasive in our society and I'm sure everyone watching will will know or know in their heads an example of where they have experienced that or any kind of shame themselves and I think especially as survivors we experience a lot of internal shame as well as any shame that is put on us externally from people who may not even know that that is how they're reacting but then when you see people talking about this bringing this forward it gives strength it really gives strength to a lot of people i don't you, you guys put it very well i don't really have much to add on. No, thank you. Um, I, 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 I wanted to add on something. I do think that um, sharing my own experiences, uh, yeah, I do definitely think that we cannot underestimate the power of like a movement because I think similarly when I, similar to Danny, when I first learned about the Me Too movement, it really helped me to kind of process I guess my own experiences, um, some of the things that and experiences that I had like buried um, and kind of like chucked aside for a long period of time because of like exactly what you guys were sharing about, right? Shame, um, yeah, like fear and stuff like that. So just tying in back to the point of that, I guess all of you are providing a platform and space to talk about, to educate 
our society on the importance of like speaking out, um, being a good ally, you know, what is considered consent, things like that, I think really helps the next few generations of people who have gone through experiences but kind of chuck them aside to kind of process um, whatever they have, they have gone through as well. So amazing platforms. All of you tuning in should really go and check it out and share with your friends. I think that the more people who are aware of this, um, the better our society will be. So I think really moving on to our more or less like final question uh, for today's conversation. Um, I think the first bit is if you guys could share a bit about uh, what are the various resources available for help if a person has been uh, harassed or abused. Um, and then adding on to that, how do we as bystanders become an ally to victims slash survivors? So a two-part question, I think um, you guys can pick which one you'd like to take on. So for um, the aspect of the university campus situations, um, the resources available for the respective universities are actually um, all well documented on the Girl Talk website and the Girl Talk Instagram. So um, I think it has been compiled in a very concise way and can write directly to them or you can call the campus hotlines. Um, as for um, what we can do as allies, I think um, we were most empowered when we went for the AWARE um, Sexual Assault First Responder training as a group and we realised that AWARE took such a strong stance, such a firm stance on um, their perspective of like what harassment is and how we are like never responsible for it as survivors. And that really empowered us because that really stopped all questions of, you know, um, whose responsibility is it and um, to what extent did we um, play a part in creating like misguided expectations. But, but no, they were very, very firm about it. And I strongly recommend the course for anyone who's interested, whether you want to be um, like a supportive friend, if you know any survival or whether you want to equip yourself for any um, potential situation and how to respond and um, just knowing first what your boundaries are before responding. Um, I can go next. Um, I'll touch on uh, how we can su better support survivors first. Um, I think most of the time when someone when a survivor speaks out, um, most of the time we're looking for support. So um, definitely active listening and with, with a genuine intention of wanting to understand and, and not trying to, to change how they feel like, uh, or try to find a silver lining and just, just sit with them and sit with their pain. I think that's helpful for them to process their trauma. Um, uh, I think as survivors, we also want to have the space to talk about it over and over and over and over again um, and not to feel bad about wanting that space. So if that's it, if you have the capacity to provide that space, um, please do. Um, uh, we also have, well, for, for me, I run So Let Us Talk, and it is a safe space for women to come together and draw support from one another. Um, and as mentioned before, I, I know how how difficult it is to to receive the appropriate support that one needs. Um, so in this space, we encourage women to um, 
come together and support one another in because there are people who actually get uh, what you're going through and know how to respond appropriately. Um, so how it works is that we have uh, a theme that we run for every session and we use creative arts intervention like writing, arts and craft, and uh, music to navigate these difficult themes. And um, that's also because we believe that arts, creative arts is, um, is, is amazing. It helps to express emotions and, and experiences that words are sometimes unable to. And, and survivors often find struggle to find words to express how they feel or their experiences. So um, yeah, creative arts is something very helpful in that, um, in breaking down these uh, difficult topics. Um, so yes, I there are a few different avenues that people can explore when they want to consider whether or not they well whether or not they want to report going to the police is an, an obvious resource that you can do. Um, but as discussed, there are lots and lots of different other options that we could recommend to people who come to you potentially to say, look, this is something has happened to me, or indeed if something does happen to you um, as a survivor. So the um, Aware Sexual Assault Care Centre is an incredible, incredible resource. They have a helpline, you can email them for workplace-based issues. You ha they have a workplace harassment and discrimination advisory, I hope I have that the right way around, um, where the, you can call them, it's a helpline and you can email them. Um, they do, AWARE have the incredible first responder training. I would highly recommend this to everyone, absolutely everyone, even if you are a survivor and you think, oh, I know how um, I will respond when somebody reports something to me. It's It really is just very eye-opening and, and a very important way to, really explore your own understanding of consent and to explore your own understanding of um, sexual harassment or sexual violence. And of course, there are also many different types of counselling opportunities in Singapore. As somebody who is a very vocal advocate for going to therapy, I think that, that is a, it's a really, really great resource. If you can find a therapist who is trauma informed, that is something that you should be asking people, the therapist before you go to the sessions, you should say, hi, can I just check with you? You know, Are you trauma informed? Are you trained to be able to sensitively respond to these sort of issues? You don't have to explain to them what has happened to you at that point before you see them. But it just makes, brings a little bit of peace and kind of in the back of your mind. So those are in terms of resources and looking at how people can think about becoming an ally without really just repeating the first responder training that I think um, both a few of us, if not all of us, have, have been to. Um, I th really, the most important thing is to listen to what the person in front of you is telling you. And that doesn't necessarily mean just listen to what they are saying. It means really understand with this person who is in front of you can you really get to grips with emotionally how they are doing? How can you best serve them in your capacity as friend, as sibling, as family member, as colleague? Um, because you really, really never know when you might be able to change somebody's life. And 
to really help somebody in a when they're in a time that they really need that help and they really need that understanding to try not to ask to pass judgment and to try not to pass judgment in forms of questions even so not to say things like oh but where were you what were you doing why were you walking home so late what were you wearing um why did you do that why did why do you feel like that it's just to instead of asking these questions that really kind of only serve yourself and your curiosity um it might just be better to take a step back and just to think how can i help this person and how can i make this person a priority in this moment this person is going through something very difficult so uh yeah i think that's probably in summary what i wanted to say sorry can i just add on to that um that i think that when when people um hear these kinds of news um and they want to help right with the best intention but sometimes not knowing not really knowing how to or wanting to change um how the person feels because you're not supposed to feel this way i want to change that um and what danny say about um the most important thing is just to listen i think that's really 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 important like i think as a survivor the most of the time what we're seeking out for is to be able to say that hey this sucks this this hurts and it's okay if you don't understand because because i don't expect you to understand and i don't want you to understand or go through anything of that sort but i just want you to to know that it hurts and to not not having to justify or defend why am i feeling this way and i want to have the space to just say that it it hurts and i want you to acknowledge that it is as bad as it is and just sit there with me and um not not probe not probe to us don't ask more than what they are ready to tell you um don't give them any silver linings because then you're kind of just um downplaying their pain right like you're not well it's not that bad right at least you have this but but then if it's not so if it's not that bad then i wouldn't feel this way that's what they would think so yeah the the most important thing is just to listen with a genuine intention of wanting to understand what they're going through Yeah, can I just add on how um, if a survivor approaches you and wants to share their story, the chances are every question that you want to ask them, they've already thought about it, you know, they've already considered like, was it my fault? Was it what I was wearing or where, where I was drinking? Did I ask for it? All these questions already ran through their mind. And I think personally, when I used to get very affected by um, being like harassed on the street, I remember there was one particular incident I was really frazzled and I told my boyfriend about the whole thing and I just started telling him about what I was going to what I was wearing that day and he just cut me off and said it, it doesn't matter what you were wearing at all and that really hit me because there was already so much internalized self-blame and shame and guilt for something that wasn't my responsibility Cool. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, I think we have a bit of time left uh, for this particular session. I do want to move on to the Q&A aspect of it. So, um, yeah, I think the, the, the guys at Local Feed will be spotlighting some of the questions that you guys have asked, but keep your questions um, coming. 
Um, okay, cool. We have a first question, so I'm just going to read it out. I think we can keep it quite open if you guys want to take it, go ahead. Um, yeah. So the question is, should transparency and information on sexual misconduct be shared in our school levels or included in sex education, especially on the topic of what consent means? Uh, I think the short answer to this is absolutely yes. <laughs> I think that, in fact, this is something that needs to be added to sex education, a, a concept of consent, to understand what it is to, to say yes. Um, I think a, a lot of the time, if when we experience sex education in schools, it is very, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, wait till you're married, don't do it, just don't do it. And that is all very well and good but then where does where does the enjoyment come in where does the enthusiastic yes come in where do you where are you taught that actually this this can be a really lovely experience but then also understanding the flip side of that which is when i do not give that enthusiastic yes how do I not give that enthusiastic yes in these complicated relational circumstances? You know, if do I if I'm feeling a bit concerned about this, if I kind of want to take a step back, how do I convey that to my partner in the moment? And should I, I mean, I'm not saying anyone should feel guilt, but why am I feeling guilty about saying no? Why am I maybe feeling that I should just do this because clearly the person I'm doing this with wants me to? And um, so, again, this concept of the enthusiastic yes, because you know that you want to do this. And then also that understanding of how how to say no and when you can say no, which is whenever you want. Um, so public education, educational institutions within the context of the workplace, um, within, but from the police, within the media, everything. The more we can talk about consent, the more we can share about it, the better. I do want to add on to, I think, Danny's point in that I think, um, I 100% agree, I think that it has to be talked about. I do also think that it's very difficult. Um, and I, I say this as somebody who works with uh, like sex therapists. Um, I speak to a couple of like educators as well. I have friends in the, in, in the education system. Um, and I think there's a bit of a difficulty, right, coming from a society that is kind of... Mm, crossing or like standing on the boundaries of between being liberal but also like conservative upholding certain like value systems and stuff like that so i do think that the it is necessary but it's interesting to me i think to see how we are going to kind of navigate that in the future um how grown-up initiatives like um so that last talk you know girl talk um are going to kind of fill the very much needed gap and also how that's going to impact um, when people do get educated, how that's going to impact the want for a more like robust, uh, holistic kind of sex education in general. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, we're moving on to our next question. Um, so the question is, trauma-informed plus survivor-centric models are the way forward, which is something that we discussed earlier in the um, session. Hopefully, first responders like counselling centres and police stations can receive training from AWARE. How can we move this forward? 
um, I think this is something for the authorities to definitely be informed about. I, I, I mean, they need to be aware that this is an issue in order for them to move this forward. And I think AWARE are doing a fantastic job in raising this. Um, and also not only in my context, I know that they have done a lot to educate lawyers as well, um, what has happened within the context of the court system and how to treat survivors and running workshops for lawyers for this specifically. But moving things into counseling centers and police stations, the more I think the public starts to talk about this and to raise this to government level and to government visibility, the, the more likely this is to be pushed forward, um, definitely. I like that you touch about that because I think I was going to ask um, Suli and Don, what are their opinions on this, especially from individuals who have done a more like ground up initiative? Um, I think Danny is right to say that AWARE has been working with the police um, to to have a, uh, to be more trauma informed. And so the way that they handle the interviews uh, is, is smoother and less traumatizing for survivors. That's what I, that's what I've been told at least when I went there for my report and and it it shows I think because when I went there it was not uh it didn't feel like an inter interrogation it felt more like an interview um I wouldn't say like it's a spa but it was um handled really well that said um I do think that um the more we talk about it the more uh, there, there's an awareness that's built on this and um, well it's, it's really up to the authorities I can't say that hey I want this to happen and it's gonna happen but <laughs> I wish I can <laughs> yeah but the more we talk about it hopefully we can change um, individuals minds and that will just build yeah, I think Girl Talk was started with this whole idea of wanting to generate more conversations between people, um, conversations that are authentic and um, that believe the survivors. Um, apart from that, how we can move it forward is to support these ground-up initiatives by participating in whatever events that they um, create, support by even if you're not able to attend the event, you can just share it or you can like post about it on social media and you know everyone has a very powerful voice when it comes to being involved um, you don't have to support from just like one tangible aspect okay so we have another question um, the question is what should one do when an act of harassment is done for instance somebody took a video of you secretly and they were found out that it was swept under the carpet because of shame internally or externally so i think this is something that we kind of touched on earlier today or oh, especially if it's family how does one deal with it very good question i think anyone can feel free to take the question i think first of all it depends on the relationship between the survivor and the perpetrator and how positive or negative that relationship is and if there is a non-existent relationship then then I wouldn't recommend like trying to talk to them and trying to understand their perspective or letting know letting them feel about it but instead then you can collect the evidence that 
um, that they took a video, if there is any, if there was any CCTV involved, or if um, they posted it, can you screenshot that? Can you um, save their username? Just collect all the evidence that is possible, and then um, maybe Danny can can um, walk us through the the process of um, sending the video into the police as evidence and everything. Um, I would actually let me just see if I can find the rest of this question so that I can just double check that I'm answering this right because it sounds like this is a specific event um, yep. and a specific experience and I think we as from three lines aren't really able to know what happened or you know what it means that they were found out or what it means that it was swept under the carpet and what what internal or external shame this one individual or hypothetical person may be experiencing so so it's it's a very difficult thing to do and i think the first thing that we should note is that there is no one right or wrong way as we've been talking about through the whole of this there is no one right or wrong way to respond um how does this individual for example want to act what will what do they feel in themselves will make them feel more peace about this situation um and it doesn't need necessarily to be brought to the police we've we've talked about lots and lots of different options and doing something like going to the sexual assault care center would be a very good option you can speak to somebody anonymously you can call their helpline anonymously and they can give you more specific assistance if this is a real circumstance and especially with family as well that is it's very very difficult for for any of us to to make any recommendations i think if it, especially if it's someone's real life um I don't want to to make any suggestions on on what you should or shouldn't do um, off the basis of three lines, but but I think make sure that you, as a survivor, sit with yourself and work out what it is that will make you feel the most empowered. Is there a way that you can empower yourself from within to take whichever action that you feel will work for you in this moment? Are there, sorry, I'm just, I just want to go back to the, the, the previous question and check if like Suli or Don has anything else to add. Because I think I wanted to also add that like the reality is that it is difficult because um, I think the, the, the second part of the question was that especially if it's family, how does one deal with it? The reality it is that it is often that I think the victim slash survivor might know the perpetrator personally. So that makes things a bit challenging. But I think like what, Danny said, you know, like, it really depends on you and what is the best cause of action for you. So I just wanted to add that, like, it's a, it's a complicated situation, but touching, checking in with yourself, that's really, really important. So, yeah, is there anything from, like, Suli and Don? Is there anything you guys might want to add to this? Um, I'll just say that it is, like you say, it is very complicated. It is a very tricky situation, especially when it's a family member that you, you may be living with um, and Danny is right to say that there is really no right or wrong in this and and it's even harder for, for us to, to give suggestions based on three lines or even if we know the full story I think it's completely up to the survivor's choice on what is comfortable for you what 
what is something that's going to make you feel better about this? I hope, I just really hope that this individual is receiving the support he or she needs. Uh, this person is able to, to find someplace safe. Like, um, I don't know, uh, lock your rooms or... I, I don't know the situation, but something safer than the current situation. I think also some questions to help your decision is to think about um, if if it's family and if there are younger siblings around or younger cousins around that might potentially be exposed to the same experience as you and if that responsibility kind of if, if you feel like that responsibility to protect them also falls on your shoulders you know it's just something for you to consider um, um, another question is um, if that if it were to happen again, you know, how can you prevent it? Um, and are you prepared to to respond if it happens again? Yeah. Thank you, guys. I think um, just to the person who asked the question, if you need, if you do need any help, I would say that um, anybody on this panel is quite willing to assist you or like to provide you with any help you need. So do reach out to them in your own time. And space. Um, I think the details are on the local feeds um, YouTube channel as well as like the social media platform. So yeah, I think we're gonna round off with one last question for this particular session. Um, so yeah, we have a question. It says, it's strange that victims are blamed for a crime committed against them and made to suffer by society. What do you all think needs to be changed for victims to be treated as victims? Um, I'll just start off with this one. Uh, first things first, I personally uh, relate to the term survivor itself. So I would rather be treated as a survivor than a victim. But I know uh, there are people who respond differently and some people resonate with victims more. Um, I, I just feel that um, hmm, what needs to be changed? Well, first things first, I think this whole victim-blaming culture that, that has to change. I think what pe why people do this in the very first place is that when you hear news, uncomfortable news like that, people just want to find a reason to believe that their world is safe, that um, it is not as bad as, as it is. So... Um, Maybe that's why people try to point out what they would have done differently if they were in the survivor's position. And that just um, indirectly, no, or directly, um, makes the survivor feel like, oh, maybe there's something that I could have done differently. And I think this whole mindset has to be shifted because nobody would have would ask for this. And which is why we need to talk more about it. We need to educate the people around us, even if it's a friend. If you hear um, someone commenting on someone's, someone else's clothes or, or making inappropriate comments, call them out because it's not right, because it's all of these that, that um, indirectly shapes the way that people think about uh, this, is, this is why it happened, because of what she wore or because she was drunk, things like that. So I think from from an individual um, stand, you can you can make a difference in that. 
Yeah, and I think that everyone can afford to be more empathetic when um, dealing with survivors. Um, one good way is to just treat them as if they were your family member. You know, what if that situation happened to them, to a loved one? You wouldn't second guess it and you would back them up and you would support them in every way that you can. Um, I think from from my own perspective, I think if you're looking at this on a societal level and you're looking at how things are brought to to court, which is essentially the public version of how how society reacts, right? Um, it's very there are two different sides and the two different sides are fighting. The survivor is fighting for their position and the perpetrator is fighting for his position. And that actually can lead to a lot of issues as a survivor because you really feel like this has happened. This has happened to me. Why do I need to fight? Why do I need to stand up and say, this is not right? Because everyone knows this is not right. Nobody wants this to happen. And this has already been put in law that this is not legal. So why do I have to go through all these processes of whether it's legal or whether going through your, um, your company and going through HR and having to push your position and really all of this this stuff that we're being pushed to do. Um, I think all systems, no matter what, whether it's, doesn't have to be a system, it can also be family, it can also be friends, it can also be within your own little bubble of society. Can Everyone can afford to be more trauma informed. I completely agree with Dawn. The more empathy that we have, the better. I think that the more options for support systems that we can have, the better the more informed that everyone is so even the more informed the police are the more informed that the law law system is the more informed that everyone even therapists let's say let's make all therapists trauma informed look at those statistics on on everything that is happening here even um never mind the 97 percent of women in um in the uk who have said that they were they've been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed so i think we clearly, very clearly on a societal and an individual level need to realize that this is a real problem for basically the next person sitting next to us on the MRT. Um, and by doing that and talking about it and normalizing the fact that this has happened to all of us, we can then create systems that mean we do not have to be victims anymore and we really can be survivors. So I, th I think that really nicely sums up our session for today. Um, so I just want to really just run up the session by thanking all of you joining us today, tuning into this live stream, as well as the three um, panelists. I think that we had quite a robust and interesting conversation and it's nice for us to end off on the note that, you know, hopefully moving forward, I think we will adopt a more like victim slash survivor centric model in dealing with cases of like sexual harassment and assault so thank you guys for joining us today um if you guys tuning in have any questions for any of the panelists myself included i think you can find our social media handles on um local feeds uh instagram page and youtube channel we're all available um feel free to reach out with any questions help um and maybe even ideas you have um on how to make our society a bit better i think we'd be very glad to collaborate so Thank you guys.